So, uh, for part of my childhood, as some of you know, I, uh, I lived in Massachusetts, outside of Boston. And growing up, the, the police officers in my area drove a particular kind of car, painted a particular shade of dark blue. In fact, it's the same color I remember from my childhood that state troopers drive in Massachusetts to this day. And uh, as a young boy, as many young boys are, I was fascinated with policemen and firemen, in addition to pirates, of course and paid close attention whenever a police car would pass my mother on the highway or we parked on the street. But when I was seven, we moved to Michigan, where police drive a number of different colored cars. White with a black stripe, black with white lettering, blue, different shades. Depending on the municipality and jurisdiction of the car in question. Now, having lived in my entire though short life, amongst the paradigm of dark blue police cars, I was confused upon arriving in Michigan. My reality, such that it was, was threatened. I remember being upset, angry even, that the Michigan police were driving the wrong colored cars. <laughs> my truth had been threatened, and I was reacting against a broadening of my own perspective. What I had come to take for granted as the truth about police cars, that they were dark blue, had been revealed as only partially true, or only true in Massachusetts. Broadening my perspective would eventually prove helpful, but was initially painful for my seven-year-old self. So again, we're here this morning to explore mystery. Of course, some of you may be thinking, isn't that what we try and do every week? And in some sense, you're right. Religion itself is one way that human beings have traditionally tried to make sense of the world, solved the mysteries inherent in our limited understanding of the workings of the universe. In fact, there was a time not so long ago in human history that religion explain everything, or so it claimed. From the miracle of childbirth to the workings of the cosmos, myth, legend, prophecy, simple faith explained away all mysteries. If the crops wilted, the rain god was upset. If the winds whipped the waves over the shore, the sea spirits were angry. If the harvest was bountiful, the sun god was pleased, and so on. But as our own self-awareness grew, so did our mechanical understanding and our needs for innovation. Survival, it turns out, is based not only praying to the right gods, but also on learning how to more effectively, efficiently deal with our own environment. For example, it is one thing to have the correct prayer to say when encountering a hungry saber-toothed tiger, something quite different to have the correct prayer and a sharp spear. And for much of our early stages as a species, there existed this sort of 
push and pull between reconciling the beliefs of faith with the realities faced by people, both influencing each other. And for a time, science and religion were essentially the same thing. The mystery solvers were the religious leaders and vice versa. But there, of course, arose a problem when new physical insight flew in the face of widespread religious belief. In fact, we still encounter this today. Often new ideas or models were dismissed as heresy and their proponents condemned as heretics. But every once in a while, a person or idea was too significant to keep down, too important to dismiss. And though it is admittedly rare that we lift up a doctor of the Catholic Church here at Bradford UU, and a saint no less, Hildegard of Bingham, Bingen is just such an important person. Hildegard had spiritual visions and would fall into trances where she claimed to see the literal shadows of the living light. Love that phrase. The shadows of the living light and hear directly the words of God. She became completely devoted to her faith, advocating for and eventually founding a monastic order free from the supervision and control of the male monks in the area. This would have been in the years 1150, so 12th century, middle of the 12th century of the Common Era. She consistently pushed for those things she believed in, rattling cages and offices as high as the Pope in her pursuits. She was rarely refused, and I love the fact she refers to the, uh, the spirit of God in the divine feminine. And despite the resistance to Sister Hildegard's claims by more powerful men in the church, her piety was never questioned and her gift of revelation confirmed by a papal envoy. Writings inspired by her visions and her explorations into the natural world would span topics as broad as theology, sociology, ethics, philosophy, the arts, and she herself produced scores of poems, hymns, and other musical compositions in addition to her numerous written volumes. Struggling with ill health her whole life, she would, in fact, live to be an old woman and would continue to produce valuable materials until the very end. And though not officially canonized until recently, over 850 years after her work in this realm was complete, her legacy has been one of connecting Christianity and its institutions with the infinite mystery. She was described appropriately as a mystic. And mysticism is defined as the practice that concerns the preparation for, the consciousness of, and the effect of a direct, personal, and transformative presence of God, or the divine spirit. 
Mysticism is that branch of religious expression focused not on the texts, nor the mythology, nor the rules set down by institutions, but that raw, personal, and unfiltered connection with the divine other. Mysticism, as the name indicates, deals with the mysterious, the hidden, the deeply personal part of an individual's relationship with the universe. And in mysticism, we find one of the few, though significant, breaks from doctrinal rule within Christianity. Mystics, such as St. Hildegard, were afforded much greater leeway and license to explore and share their truths than other theologians or religious leaders, save perhaps for, uh, for the Pope from time to time. And though Hildegard is an extreme example, she is evidence that there still exists some mystery, some opportunity for even an institution as rigid and slow to change as the Catholic Church. In fact, it's been a long-held sociological principle that human society itself began in earnest when such mystery was embraced. Now, without mystery, there was nothing to explore, nothing to learn. People began to develop as, well, people, when we as a species came to realize the extent of what we didn't know. Again, the words of a temple priest may be inspiring, but are of little use when encountering a predator in the wild or famine in the fields. Exploration, inquiry, creative problem solving, all these are the direct result of accepting on some level that we don't know everything. That mystery exists, and even more importantly, that we have the ability and opportunity to explore those mysteries. While this may have been an incredibly important moment, or moments for us as human beings, we're often far less open to changes of opinion or insight individually than our species has been over the millennia. In fact, entire branches of psychological research have been devoted to how people might change their minds about something they've held true. And it's actually much harder than it seems. Just like when I was a child and actually angered by the fact I had been wrong regarding what police cars looked like, people have a very difficult time accepting they were wrong. And we have even more difficulty accepting our mistakes when pointed out by another person. Communicating facts, demonstrating proof of a point or technique, applying logical argument, most often results in a breakdown of dialogue and a hardening of positions rather than the opposite. It's been pretty well documented through psychological studies that people change their opinions based on emotional responses rather than intellectual ones. Simple data rarely does the trick, and even if it clearly demonstrates someone was in error, that person is much less likely to accept the error without some other deeper emotional connection to either the issue 
or the person presenting it, or both. As the second president of the United States, our fellow Unitarian, John Adams, once said, a man's mind changed against his will is of the same opinion still. There must be both the intellectual component and the will for someone to change. Which brings us to the present day. The current state of affairs in our country and our world is one of increasingly divisive rhetoric. And increasingly emboldened and entrenched folks on both sides of any issue. From race relations to the war on drugs to the environmental crisis, things appear so binary. You're either right or wrong, you're furus or againus. Those with us with liberal leanings get frustrated by all those red staters who seem to consistently vote against their own best interests. Conservatives rail against the so-called welfare state and government overreach. And never the twain shall meet. But there are ways to communicate and even some ways to introduce new thinking to even the most committed actors. And it hinges on this principle of mystery. People, for the most part, don't like being wrong. But few argue that they have access to the whole truth. Mystery exists within and outside us, and people inherently understand that they rarely have access to everything they could possibly know. So the first learning for dialogue, at least constructive dialogue, is that whether we admit it or not, we are inherently able to embrace the mystery, or at least, very least, the concept of the unknown. Now, the second part of this is that folks are rarely persuaded to even examine personal beliefs if they are put on the defensive by someone deriding them indicating that they're stupid, or simply presenting information that contradicts what they hold is true. If told, you were wrong about this, people react badly and might even hold on to their wrong beliefs all the stronger. But, if someone is approached first with the concept of, you were right to think this way, given the information you had at the time, but there are things no one considered then that we now know, people are much more receptive to the opportunity for the dialogue. Blaise Pascal, legendary 17th century mathematician and philosopher, first illustrated this when he says, quote, when we wish to correct with advantage and to show another that he errs, we must notice from what side he views the matter, for on that side it is usually true, and admit that truth to him, but reveal to him the side on which it is false. He is satisfied with that, for he sees that he was not mistaken, that only failed to see all sides. End quote. So no one is really offended, or most people are not offended, 
at not seeing everything. But most people don't like to be mistaken. And that perhaps arises from the fact that we can't naturally see everything. That naturally we cannot err in the sign we look at since the perceptions of the senses tell us what we're seeing. So, rather than to say to a relative over the holiday dinner table, you were such an idiot to vote for Trump. <laughs> a much more effective conversation starter might be, you were right not to trust career politicians and, and to vote for someone who symbolized great change for our way of being. But we now know a little more about this administration and some of their actions I find to be really problematic. Again, people don't like being wrong, but they do like being affirmed for being right, given what they knew at the time, even if this later turns out to be incorrect. And finally, there is, of course, the emotional, personal component. In addition to accepting the mystery of the unknown or unknowable, people always, again, whether they're conscious of it or not, Consider how a certain piece of knowledge affects them and their loved ones. While watching a time-lapse of the melting polar ice caps might convince many of us that it is time, or past time, to start working on global climate change, showing such a presentation to unemployed auto workers in Detroit won't convince them of anything. A far more effective presentation might be to tout the individual economic benefits of shifting to a green economy, retrofitting car factories to produce solar panels or wind farm equipment. And make more, no mistake, these apply not only to those whom we wish to convince of something, they apply to ourselves as well. When we are confronted with a difficult truth, our complicit role in perpetuating a culture of white supremacy, our own environmental impact and carbon footprint, our faith in a political personage or party that ultimately disappoints us. We would do well to apply the same technique to ourselves as we do our politically opposite relatives. When we resist a learning, we must ask ourselves, why? Identify the emotional component of our beliefs and give ourselves the generous benefit of living with mystery. Yes, I believed that once upon a time, and I was correct given what I knew then, but now that I know more, I can change my thoughts without changing my identity. I can change my thoughts without changing my identity. The extension of this is, of course, that I must remain open to changing my mind in the future as well, as I learn even more. So if we can simply take the time to accept the mystery, acknowledge that we don't know everything, and be open to the learnings and new knowledge that comes from its exploration, will not only be living with mystery, 
we will be thriving within it. So go forth and explore your mystery. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.